0: While you're looking for our passages of scripture today found in Genesis 1 and 2 in your ESV Bible or your bulletin insert, I'll uh, say just a few words. Some years ago, the comic strip entitled Small Society pictured a husband talking to his wife. And in the frame, the man says, of course you're my valentine. Of course I still love you. I've just stopped talking about it. If you truly love someone, you can't stop talking about them. And that should bring comfort to you and me since God talks about his love for us from one end of the Bible all the way to the other. And a simple reason we know he loves us is because he created us in the first place. He gave us life. He made us in his image as we'll read in just a moment or two. And that biblical truth... The fact that we're made in the image of God is part of what's behind the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday uh, that we celebrate in the Christian calendar today. Of course, another word for sanctity is sacredness. Life is sacred, as is the marital relationship, as we'll also see in our text. Typically, this Sunday is associated with the sadness of abortion, And uh, I've preached on that in past years. But since most abortions come from those who are unmarried, not all but most, I thought I would talk about the sacredness of marriage today with the thought that if we understand what I'm calling the sacredness of sex within the marital relationship, then we could lessen the source of unwanted babies and at the same time speak to another societal challenge that's facing us today in America and all over the world and especially as we are people, Christian people, who adhere to the word of God. So turn with me to uh, Genesis, the end of chapter 1, and we'll begin to read together, starting at verse 26. male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, That is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, And brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept... Took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now please keep in mind that everything that we just read in those two passages took place before, before... Sin, sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience. What we have in Genesis 1 and 2 is a story of creation and God's design for these human beings that He has made, and it was all very good. And we know from Genesis 1 and 2 that Adam and Eve have a perfect, we might call face-to-face, relationship with God and with each other. There's no sin. There's no shame, there's no pain, no agony, no death, no sickness. Everything is perfect. And in these chapters, we can see there is at least a twofold purpose for God's creation of, of people and his design for how they should live. There's the responsibility of dominion, and there's the privilege of procreation the responsibility of dominion, the privilege of procreation. And while we could spend an entire sermon on what dominion really means here, let's just summarize by saying that our understanding of dominion, of of mankind's rulership over God's creation comes not only from these two passages and other passages like Psalm 8, for example, that remind us of how God has given us dominion over the works of His hands, but also from what the New Testament teaches about leadership and rulership, especially as it's seen in Jesus Christ. Of course, in His example, the one who rules is the one who serves. In His example, we see lordship that stoops to serve and to become a servant of others. In his example, he's willing to count others better than himself and lay down his life for you and for me and for all the people in the world as he chooses not to hold on to equality with God, but empties himself, humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant, becomes obedient unto death, even death on a cross as Philippians 2 teaches You see, this hope of equality with God, which Jesus does not grasp, that's what will get Adam and Eve into trouble in Genesis 3. Because you remember, the serpent, Satan, says, you can be just like God. And this wanting to be like God is what gets you and me into trouble as well. Now with this one paragraph summary on dominion, this brings us to the other purpose, to live as a family and populate the world, continuing to serve Him and His creation through the attitude of servanthood. And this is where we'll spend our time today as we talk about God's purpose in marriage and how He has designed us as male and female to complement each other. First of all, notice that the marital relationship is a work of God Himself and He defines it for us in this passage in Genesis 2. God says it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Then look at verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, if you've ever been in a wedding ceremony in this church, and I know lots of you have, you know that the the father begins to bring his daughter, the bride, down this aisleway here, and when the ceremony is finished, they leave out the other aisleway. That's so that everybody can see the bride equally. You know, the groom and the preacher, they're not important at all. They come through this back door back <laughs> here. They're, they're not to be seen, but... Everybody wants to see the bride. And when the father is bringing that bride down this aisle, he is literally bringing her to her husband. That's why in a traditional service, the minister will say something like, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Some people think those words harken back to a time when, when women were just considered chattel. They were nothing more than property. And therefore they don't want those words in their service. But you can see where it goes back to. It goes all the way back to Genesis 2 where we see the real basis for those words. God brought Eve to her husband. God the Father had just created this wonderful complement to Adam. And he brings this daughter of his and gives her to her husband. In case we somehow miss it, it's right there in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Now I want you to understand that that verse 24 right there that I just quoted... That's not some sort of editorial words that Moses tacks on to this uh, uh, creation story that he's been telling here as he writes the book of Genesis for us. And we know that because of what Jesus says in Matthew 19. These are God's words. This is God's design for marriage because in Matthew 19, the Pharisees have come to Jesus, as they often do, trying to trap Him, and they're asking Him a question about divorce. And Jesus says, Have you not read that He who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said... In other words, Jesus is saying that God made them and then said, and Jesus quotes... Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. These are God's words. Jesus said He made them male and female, and then He said to them. They're not editorial comments. This is the definition of marriage. Marriage. A man and a woman are joined together and the two become one flesh. To have a biblical marriage, it takes a man, it takes a woman, and it takes a sexual union. This is one truth behind our sermon's title today, the sacredness of sex. But because sex is sacred, it's a gift to be enjoyed only within the relationship of marriage because it points toward a great faithfulness that we will talk about later in the sermon. And we have to make sure that we see that God is the one who makes this union. It's not just a husband and wife. They're on the surface. They're an external factor, if you will. But God is doing something below the surface. That's why Jesus also says to His speech there to the Pharisees in Matthew 19... What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now you'll also hear that in a traditional service. I always put it right at the end of the ceremony, right before the benediction, as a way of making sure that people hear those important words from Jesus Himself in Matthew 19. What God has joined together, Let not man separate. God is the one who's doing the work there. It's not the bride. It's not the groom. It's not the pastor. It's not the state. It's God who is the chief actor. He's doing a great work in that worship service, joining the man and the woman together, spiritually and sexually, providing for this one flesh union, as it's called here in our text. Now, we just talked about God's design for marriage and His definition of it as we see here in Genesis 2. But before we move on to talk about the purpose of marriage within His design, we need to take a moment to sort of stand to the side and talk about this great push we see in our society today for same-sex marriage. With what we have just read, understanding God's definition of marriage, we can see that there is no such thing as same-sex marriage. God has defined marriage as between a man and a woman, and that is the only biblical picture of marriage that we have. Remember, part of the marital relationship is the fact that the wife complements the husband, and the husband complements the wife. There are so many things that Sarah is good at In our relationship together, my wife of more than 31 years, and so many things at which I'm not worth anything, but she's good at them. And I'm so thankful for God giving her to me so many years ago. For those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. How much your spouse compliments you in so many different ways, physically, sexually, psychologically, practically. The list just goes on and on. This is why Paul speaks the way he does about marriage in Ephesians 5. Remember, this is where he tells husbands and wives to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ That's the umbrella verse for all of the teaching that he's about to give in the rest of chapter 5 there. You must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he proceeds to tell wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. And then at the end of that chapter, Paul quotes our own Genesis 2.24 and then says this mystery is a profound one. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now we're starting to wade into some deep water, so you've got to follow me here. This is a place, another place in Scripture where marriage is spoken of extensively. I'm talking about Ephesians 5 21 and following. And because Paul connects the meaning of marriage to the relationship of Jesus and his church, this means that the basic roles of husbands and wives are not interchangeable. The husband is called to love his wife as Jesus loved the church, and gave himself up for. And so men, if you're a husband in this place today, we have the harder road to hoe here. Because we've got to love our wives just like Christ loved the church. And what did he do? He went to the cross. He sacrificed everything for the love of his bride. And so men are called to do the same. We are to exhibit the sacrificial love of Christ's headship. Whereas the wife is called to the submissive role of Christ's body, the church. You see, there can be no same-sex marriage, scripturally speaking, with these roles in mind that are not interchangeable, not to mention the fact, the definition of marriage that God has already given unto us. This is where the sacredness of sex also has something to say. And I'll illustrate that by talking about a story about Ravi Zacharias, who is a Christian author and speaker. He's based in Atlanta. Our own Jane Revel works for his ministry. He is a fantastically intellectual uh, speaker. And he once had a discussion with a television producer from one of the major networks, a, a producer who had come to him and wanted to include about a five or six minute clip of one of his lectures in a, in a special TV program she was making about religion in America. And he said, fine, come and film all you want. And he was given a lecture with Dallas Willard at Indiana University. And instead of coming and filming that five or six minute clip and then leaving, he noticed that she stayed the entire time. Two lectures plus all of the questions and answers afterward, almost a three hour period of time. And she came up to him afterward and said, A lot of the things you said are very interesting to me, but I have a question for you. Why is it that you are against racism But then you end up discriminating against the homosexual in your remarks. And Ravi answered her. He said, you know, I find it fascinating that in the first part of the question you talked about it as an ism and in the second part of the question you talked about it as a person. Racism as opposed to the homosexual. Let me ask you this, he said. Why are we against racism? We're against racism because race is a sacred thing. Your ethnicity is a sacred gift to you from God. Why do we make our decisions on sexuality? It's because sex is a sacred gift. That's the reason we make our decisions on race and ethnicity, which is a gift from God, as is sexuality. And then he looked at her and he said, Now let me ask you a question. Can you tell me why you treat race as sacred? And desacredize sex sexuality. He said, This is where we come from. We, and he's talking about Christian people, we believe in the sacredness. Now, I tell you that story as a way to give you a, a positive way to respond to questions that people out there in the world have about what you as a Christian believe about homosexuality. I can point to passages in the Bible, passages like Leviticus 18, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6 that make it clear that make it clear that God forbids homosexuality and that such a lifestyle leads to eternal death. But so often... The Christian church, especially in America today, is known as that group of Christians that they're against this and they're against that and they're against this and they're against that. And we need to be known as people who are for so much more. We are for the sacredness of sex. And therefore, any variation of it in the eyes of God becomes the desacredization of a gift from God that has its own boundaries that he's put upon it in Scripture. However, if you truly speak the truth today in our society about an issue like homosexuality, get ready to be called someone who hates. You know, that's what the world calls us. But as John Piper puts it so well, to speak the truth is not hate. Hate doesn't want people to be saved. Hate wants to destroy. If homosexual practice, and by that, I mean that lifestyle without repentance, just going on and on and on, if that leads to exclusion from the kingdom of God, as Paul teaches that it does in 1 Corinthians 6, then love warns. Love pleads. And love comes alongside of a person and tries to help them live forever. We have to remember what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches about love. Love does not rejoice with wrong, but love rejoices with the truth. The truth is that Paul loved homosexuals in Corinth. You know, he gives a whole list there of sins... In 1 Corinthians 6, it's not just homosexuality. It's idolatry and greed and drunkenness and reviling and thievery, all kinds of things that he lists there. And he loved those kinds of sinners in Corinth, and he brought the good news of Jesus Christ to them so that they might be saved. And we know that those kinds of people were saved because Paul says to them, Such were some of you as this list of sins I've just given. But you were washed. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. So you and I in the Christian church today, we proclaim the gospel to all people and we are to love them regardless of what they've done or what they are doing. That's who we are as Christian people because that's who God is. Remember, God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 8. So we're to have the same kind of ministry in the world where we are. We're to love those people out there who are sinning in the world, and somehow get across to them that God loves them so much that He sent His own Son into the world to die on the cross for them. And that's not hate, that's love. And that's what we got to make sure we do as the church. Now, but we have to move quickly to God's purpose marriage because we said we were going to talk about that which in our text is clear to see procreation having babies and multiplying on the earth in other words all you young couples out there you can get with it because we need more babies I'm aware of two in this church that are going to be born this year and they're both coming in February and we need more more young children than that So uh, the early crowd, that church, uh, that congregation, I told them to make sure all those young couples there would would get busy, and they told me they would. So uh, (laughs) with the thought, of course, that we'll teach these children that are born into the life of this congregation God's love for them and the way He calls us to live as His people, with the thought that they'll be the next generation of those who serve in the kingdom's work. But because of Ephesians 5, which we've already mentioned, we can also see that marriage is not just for procreation. Marriage is also for God's glory. As Paul told us there, marriage is patterned after Christ's commitment, His covenant commitment to His own church. As we remember in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, every time we celebrate communion here, uh, Philip and myself or Bob, we tell you those words of Jesus that He spoke to His disciples in that upper room in His last meal with them. He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. You see, this new covenant is an unbreakable marriage. Marriage. Jesus will never divorce the church, His body. And since marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to the church, this means, as John Piper words it, that the highest significance and the ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and His church on display. On display to the whole world around us. That's what marriage Is all about. Your faithfulness as a husband to your wife and your love for her and her faithfulness to you and her love for you are to display to the world around us how faithfully Jesus Christ loves and cares for His church and how He'll never leave her. And that's why God so dislikes divorce. We know Scripture tells us that God dislikes divorce. This is why. It's not simply that we've broken a vow that we've made before God and His people in a church like this one day a long time ago. It's not just destroying the one flesh union that God has made. But more importantly, it involves misrepresenting Christ and His covenant to His body, the church. Paul says this mystery, at the end of Ephesians 5, this mystery, talking about the relationship between husbands and wives, this mystery refers to Christ and the church. Now remember, in New Testament speak, the word mystery does not mean something mysterious. It means something we would not have known had it not been revealed by God Himself. Paul is saying the marital union of a man and woman into one flesh is realized perfectly only in the union of Jesus and the church, His bride. And that union is what the marital relationship should always proclaim. And when we think of it in those terms, it's another reason for the sacredness. sex, But our good news today, regardless of what kind of sinner we've been, the sinner we are, the sinner we will be, all the numerous mistakes we've made in our lives, the good news is Jesus will never leave us. I know that some of you have been divorced before, and I'm not trying to give you a hard time today. I just want to make sure we understand the truth of what God teaches in His Word. I know that most of you have, have biblical grounds for a divorce. You can't help that your spouse abandoned the marital relationship or was unfaithful. But this is the truth of God's Word, that, that how we live as husbands and wives is to portray to the world around us the loving, faithful relationship of Jesus to His church. And when we do that, that brings God glory. We have to remember what Jeremiah 31 tells us. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. I'll be their God, and they will be my people, and they shall all know me. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more that new covenant God's talking about there was made in Jesus Christ that's the new covenant he's talking about this cup is the new covenant in my blood I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more, I don't know about you but that sounds like good news to me amen amen